1: What's up, Road of His listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Road of His Radio and one of the co hosts of the Road of His Overtime podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Road of His Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Road of His NFL pass right now at rotaviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRadio2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Road of His website, the best tools and content in the business. The best listeners in the business. As always, we do appreciate you listening to each and every show. And if you do have five, ten, fifteen seconds to spare, please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app. It is much appreciated. With all that said, thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Now let's get back to the show.
2: We have a major announcement on Rotoviz Viz Radio.
1: What's up, Roto Viz?
2: Welcome on into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. As you may have gathered from the change up there in the intro music, we have some big news here. And that is that we are making a bit of a transition on the show. This is something that we were expecting we were gonna have maybe two or three weeks to kind of transition into. With it being an absolutely crazy month, we kind of had to take an accelerated pace on that. But the news is, going forward, I will be hosting this show alongside the Dynasty Commander, Curtis Patrick, who I have to assume you have listened to his show, The Dynasty Command Center. You know him from Rotoviz. We've talked about him a number of times on the show, the DCC Guide, all of that stuff. So Curtis is going to be stepping in to take over for Matt, It's been an awesome couple of years hosting with Matt. Just wanted to mention you know, how brilliant of a guy I think Matt is. Just a terrific analyst, such a quick wit, tremendous writer. It's been awesome getting to talk to him each week, get to know him. Uh, My favorite memory on the show with Matt was probably when I tried to make a quick case that Corey Davis actually had been okay and uh, got completely blown away by him on that note. But anyways... We will talk a little bit in a second about what this new format for the show is going to look like. But first, Curtis, it's been an absolutely crazy week in the NFL. We are going to be kicking this off with a bang. I'm glad to have you coming onto the show. How are you doing?
3: Oh, man, I'm ecstatic, Dave. Uh, This couldn't be more exciting for me. Uh, I've got big shoes to feel, uh, to fill to to feel. Uh, There's a foot joke, a Matt Friedman foot joke in there somewhere. Um <laughs> but I've got a, a big microphone um I guess to uh to take over for and I've I too have appreciated you know everything that that Matt has meant to Rotoviz I mean one of the original Rotovizians and so much respect for his work uh enjoy cutting up dynasty with him every spring he's in he's actually in my signature dynasty league uh so so we are close buddies uh in that regard from an industry perspective but really excited uh to take the show in a new direction with you and Uh, tonight, I mean, this is a four podcast day for me today, Dave. Like, so first off, let's just start with that. My energy level is very high. I've got the Oki cask strength makers, Mark in my glass, ready to bring fire, um, tonight. And so, yeah, let, let's see. Let's see what this is. The third iteration of this flagship podcast. So let's let's hope it's third times a charm and the show only gets better from here.
2: I mean, I am super pumped. So as I mentioned, we might be changing up the format a little bit. So uh, Curtis and I we brainstormed. We want to do three shows a week, probably somewhere between twenty to twenty five minutes, and we're going to have some recurring segments that I found some perfectly terrible music to play for these segments uh so i think that that will be a lot of fun i think we're about uh getting ready to go what do you think curtis
3: yeah i can't wait to hear some of these drops i've i've myself have been lost in uh royalty-free uh apple music uh wasteland before so i'm curious to hear what you came up with and yeah let's get in some fantasy content
2: all right well here we go it's time for the fantasy headlines this is our news segment brought to you by Roto-Viz News. So, the New England Patriots really got the free agency ball rolling, making a number of moves on the defensive side of the ball. They also bring in Johnu Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne into this offense to help support Cam Newton. I am, as our listeners know, pretty biased when it comes to the Patriots, so I want to get your reaction to these moves what are the realistic expectations for Smith and Henry?
3: So before we even cut up the expectations for any of the individual signings, can I just say because it's going to be it's it's going to be uninspiring. However, I do think Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton could become a super gross sleeper play somehow at this point in his career. I don't really like the individual situation for uh, Janus Smith or or Hunter Henry. You know, really, they're going to be you know splitting. Like targets with one another, unless Belichick gets really inventive with what he does with Smith and lets him have some carries. And it's more of like a pseudo H back role. Nelson Aguilar, a deep threat. Cam seems to struggle with that element of his game. Um, this late in his career, Kendrick Bourne, you know, maybe has some appeal as more of the, the size guy, uh, on the perimeter, uh, down in the red zone, 10 zone, five zone. And I, and I could see him being a sneaky best ball play, uh, in, in that regard. But let's look at Cam Newton for a second, because he was third among all QBs in rushing last year. The guy threw single digit touchdowns and less than 3000 passing yards and was somehow still QB 17. And I, and I think, you know, they've, they've clearly invested in, you know, the weapons that he'll have at his disposal. I don't know that any one of these guys is really a head turner on his own, but the receiving core as a whole is certainly there's a lot more quality there. And so if if Cam can give us QB 17 with the likes of Demir Bird and Nikhil Harry and I mean really what else last year, I, I certainly think he has some upside from 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 that uh from that aspect. So kind of excited for some cheap Cam shares, not very excited for really any of these signings. What do you think? Yeah, I
2: mean, I think that that is perfectly fair Um, to expect this team to come out and be something similar to what we saw from offenses in the past. I just don't think makes a high degree of sense when you look at the way that Cam's game is probably going to be played versus what you would have been able to do with Tom Brady and some of the other pieces that they would have had back in the day. I also think that it's possible you know, we've seen Belichick and McDaniels seem to know what they're doing. That though they brought in these two tight ends, have set things up to make it look like they may be trying to recreate the days of old, they might just be positioning themselves for a system that they can work around Cam. I, I do tend to agree with you that Cam actually might be the player that becomes the most exciting out of this new grouping. And and I think one thing that we're gonna see be a pretty big factor in this is the availability of Julian Edelman, because I think some degree that might also dictate exactly the way that they try to get the ball downfield
3: yeah i mean looking at cam's production trends uh from the nfl stat Explorer a little bit you know i'm checking this out now on the site he's got he had over uh four appearances with more than 27 points uh fantasy points last year you know and again we we talked about kind of the weakness uh of of the passing game weapons really all of his big games were based off of rushing the football and, you know, now he he certainly has a bigger receiving core with Smith, Henry, and Bourne. And if he hits a couple deep shots, Agalore, really that was an element that the Patriots were sorely missing last year was a downfield threat. And even though I don't think Cam will be efficient on those throws, it at least should back, you know, the opposing secondary up, you know, maybe a half step compared uh, to what was happening last year. I hadn't even really gotten to thinking about Edelman yet. That is interesting, uh, would certainly allow them to spread the ball and not really force, you know, force passes to any, you know, one particular weapon. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm I, kind of talking myself in to Cam Newton as a best ball play here and maybe like a left for dead, uh, scrape him off the dynasty heap uh, type play for 2021.
2: <laughs> yeah I know it's gonna be tricky pulling um you know for anybody in a new league the, the trigger on cam, but you know there probably is decent upside, and I think that his price is probably gonna trickle down so low that it won't really burn you in any way even if it doesn't work out
3: yeah, I think that's that's probably accurate. I mean, he's on the wrong side of thirty uh he's had the injury troubles that have you know mounted over the past couple of years. He had a couple really hurtful no show appearances down the stretch last year that people will not you know quickly forget. Week 12 against Arizona, less than five fantasy points. Week 14 against the LA Rams, less than six points. And then, you know, if if you were unfortunate enough to try to roll Cam out in your fantasy championship, which, you know, he really helped you get there with the way the beginning of the season started. But in weeks 15 and 16, you know, just two more flops against Miami and Buffalo. And, and, And then to see him erupt for over 40 points is best game of the season in week 17 when it didn't matter. So, you know, fantasy owners typically, you know, don't have short memories when it comes to that stuff. You really have to battle or uh, battle those biases, and uh, yeah. So, so I, I do think that Cam is where I'll be uh, kind of, you know, casting my bets in that offense for for this year, and maybe some very late cheap shares of Kendrick Bourne. All right, Dave, so keeping it in the Northeast, but let's flip it over to the NFC and maybe flip it over to a player with a much bigger you know, fantasy resume uh, than what we've reviewed so far. Kenny G, Babytron, uh, flipping over from Detroit to the New York Giants. Uh, what do you have on Kenny Galladay? Do you like him this year? How do you think he fits in with Daniel Jones and company?
2: Yeah, so, you know, at, at, like first blush on this, I wasn't too excited about the move, but when I started to dig in a little bit more, I I did come away thinking that this isn't as bad as I think a lot of people will think it will be. So last year, Kenny Galladay played in just five games, averaged 13.2 points. Every game, he was a wide receiver too, except in one of those games, I think he saw like four targets, had zero wrecks, did nothing. Uh, But this is a player that in 2019 ranked 13 in points per game with 15.6. That season also ranked 11th in air yards per target with 14.6 now we have reason to believe that air yards depth of target in general belongs to the wide receiver darius sladen last year playing with daniel jones had 13.7 so it's not like jones wouldn't be able to keep galladay somewhere in that target type of range which is where i think galladay is going need going to need to be to be the player that we've seen Last year, Matthew Stafford, 14.3% of his 431 passes that were beyond the line of scrimmage were deep throws. Daniel Jones, 10% of his 389 were deep passes. However, yes, there's a drop-off in those deep passes, but in an SIS, Sports Info Solutions metric that actually looks at, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like QBR for quarterbacks, their own metric that they have, Jones actually outperformed Stafford. On deep throws so I think that we can all agree that Stafford's the better quarterback but I do think it's possible that Jones could support Kenny Galladay as a wide receiver one now the one thing that does concern me a bit is that when Galladay was in Detroit they were passing in 2020 for example though he wasn't playing 582 times 2019 571 2018 574 in Daniel Jones first season with the Giants he threw more than 600 passes but Jason Garrett comes in as the OC in 2020 they only throw 517 passes if this team could get to throwing 555 and Galladay got a 24% share which I think would be possible that's around 133 targets which would be more than the 118 or so that he saw in 2019 and 2018 if he stays healthy all season I do think it's possible he gets around 125 targets, which would make me consider him a wide receiver 15 to around wide receiver 20 with a little room for upside. I am not expecting uh, the the Stefan Diggs type of situation where he makes a big leap or anything like that. But I am saying that I don't think this is going to be as problematic for him as it might seem to some when they just first think about him heading into that offense in New York.
3: Yeah, you raise a lot of really good points there. Um, and I was actually digging in on Daniel Jones as a deep ball thrower as well, using the RotoViz uh AYA app. And it's one underutilized function of that tool uh, besides just seeing, you know, hey, what did each quarterback and, and receiver battery look like? You can actually display uh, a wide receiver or a quarterback's uh, AYA or AYA by target location um, and, and, and targets under 15 yards and over 15 yards. And Daniel Jones is actually a very good, uh, down the field, uh, throw of the ball, especially deep middle, uh, a 16.88 AYA. I mean, that, that, that's like off the charts good. Um, he did struggle on, you know, outside the numbers, uh, downfield, you know, comparatively, but still, you know, respectable, uh, respectable performance, 9.47 AYA down the left, deep left and 10.54 AYA down the deep right. Now Galladay was at least eleven point eight four aya in all three thirds of the field, um, and and thirteen point five down the middle, seventeen point one down the deep right. So I think you might be onto something there. I mean, I think the skill set of the player and the quarterback, you know, they they may align, and you know, we get a little bit of lightning in the bottle there. the The overall passing attempts and you know how big is the pie. Uh, in, in New York, and then how big a slice will Kenny Galladay get? It worries me a little less because when Jason Garrett really had his best Cowboy offenses, you know, we really only saw like three pass catchers touch the ball and he was never afraid, you know, to feature Jason Witten, uh, or Miles Austin or Des Bryant, you know, whoever kind of the alpha was at that time. And Kenny Galladay clearly walks into that situation, you know, Garrett. Uh, I, I famously whiffed on Evan Ingram, you know, last year in terms of the big breakout, he was still uh, a reasonably productive, you know, fantasy asset, but I was convinced he would be used like Jason Witten and the team still just does not seem sold on him. They bring in Kyle Rudolph that does not, you know, deter me from being interested in Kenny Galladay. And and we, we saw Kenny Galladay as recently as two seasons ago, lead the NFL and uh, among wide receivers in touchdown receptions. I mean, he was first in the NFL with 11 touchdown receptions and sixth in in receiving yards at the position. So, I mean, we've seen some boom years from him. I think your range of 15 to 20 with some upside is about dead on. If we look at what he did in 2018 and 2019, uh, in 2018 he was wide receiver 22, in 2019 he was wide receiver 9. The Really the only difference in those seasons was uh, he played one fewer game in 2018, and he doubled his touchdowns in 2019. I mean, he, he basically, he, he's a player that's going to average, you know, 15 to 17 yards per, per reception. Um, and, and in those seasons, he, he was at 116 and 118 targets. So again,
0: we, we see that he doesn't need the 130. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: 140 target uh upside you know to be a back-end wide receiver one he just needs that share of the the touchdown receptions and I think that is a void that's looking to be filled in in New York so yeah I I mean I can share some optimism here um more so for redraft and for best ball purposes I think in dynasty it's a little trickier uh Galladay this is already going to be Kenny Galladay's age 28 season And so he's very likely, even if he if he busts back out and has a, 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 you know, a renaissance, you know, 2018 style renaissance here, 2019 style renaissance, he's not going to gain value. It's just that he would maybe uh, slow the decline.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
2: Yeah, so yep. the, the the thing that I am hoping, and it feels like a stretch to me, but I would like to think that getting Saquon Barkley back could make an, a, a tiny incremental improvement for this team that allows it to have a little bit higher of a play volume, maybe get a couple more quality looks for its wide receivers down in the red zone, allow Galladay to put up good touchdown numbers. I think I agree with your outlook on him in dynasty. I am not quite as enthused as I could have been in other situations. So I am definitely viewing him as an option more in the best ball or redraft lens for this year. Any other thoughts on that situation? Because if not, we will get to the next segment.
3: No, I I think we got it covered on Kenny G. All
2: right, this is a fire track, so I'm just going to let this play out. And then we will get into our price check. So we are checking in on the value in today's segment of Juju Smith-Schuster, who was easily... One of the players that Friedman and I talked about the most on this show, he has headed back to Pittsburgh on a one-year deal. For you, Curtis, how has that changed his value prior to what you would have believed to be at the end of the 2020 season and what his dynasty value looks like now, heading back into one more season with the Steelers?
3: Man, Juju's such a tough evaluation because... Uh He's kind of having an NFL early career similar to what he had in college where he had the quick breakout and then never just really never went up and above and beyond that. Um There was so much to be excited about in year one and year two. And then since then, you know, not so much, but it's a little sneaky when you start looking at what happened in Pittsburgh last season. Juju was actually the highest performing fantasy receiver in Pittsburgh last year, and it does not feel like that was the case. But it is. I mean, he was PPR wide receiver 16 uh, and Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, also uh, PPR wide receiver twos, you know, coming in at 21 and 23, respectively, in uh, and, and Juju's young age. And then, you know, I think there was a lot of enthusiasm building for him after the season. You know, last year, when I look at his his dynasty uh, startup ADP, you know, he really was still kind of a, th- a consensus third round guy, still going in the second, you know, quite often. Uh, even in Superflex, uh, you know, is what I'm really referencing there, FFPC, Superflex, Dynasty Leagues. And then, you know, everyone was just out on him uh, moving over to this year. I mean, I'm seeing Juju go as late as pick 96 in FFPC Dynasty startups. I mean, his value has tanked since uh, he re-signed in Pittsburgh. So uh, really looking at it, though, like why can't this receiver group kind of do this again i mean last year everything was pretty much as bad as it could be in pittsburgh ben was coming off you know pretty major surgery he wasn't taking care of himself he looked like he might not even play they didn't have a traditional off season uh and you know the the running game was basically non-existent with with james connor uh, having an injury and, and not looking like his old self and you know benny snell not really being able to pick up you know where connor left off so I think it's kind of just like a you know pause the movie type situation where that probably the smartest thing is to expect that all three of these receivers will be valuable in in fantasy, but perhaps the best play is whoever's cheapest in your draft uh just target the 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 one who's third it will really, whether it's in dynasty uh redraft or best ball and you know from a from a dynasty perspective right now, uh Deonte Johnson is actually going the earliest he's going at fifty seven point four and super flex startups, Chase Claypool was right behind him with an ADP of 59 in recent drafts. And then Juju's about a half round behind at 65.6. Uh, you know, I think Claypool's probably the target for me in that offense based off of it just being a second year last year, not having a chance to get established with Ben Roethlisberger and still doing what he did. Super, super impressive. Um, and so i understand to say my order of preference in Dynasty would be Claypool uh, Juju and then Deontay Johnson and in redraft and best ball, it's just whoever's cheaper. How do you see it, Dave?
2: What you said makes a lot of sense there. Uh, I guess just to first hit things on the point on Juju, I am just relieved that he did not end up as a New York jet or a Baltimore Raven. So I will completely take the fact that he's back in Pittsburgh. As far as his dynasty prospects go, I think that I had already made the mental reevaluation of not viewing him as a player that is going to be in contention for wide receiver one finishes the rest of his career. I think you're looking at a player that's going to be entrenched in a wide receiver two type of spot if he is in Pittsburgh or not. Now, I can understand that Claypool, for a lot of people, is going to be the most exciting player when you consider what he did to get his career going. He had a couple of monster games, profiles more as that touchdown scorer in that offense. I do have some fear, however that Claypool could be one of those guys that puts up that one kind of fluke early season and then fails to live up to it for the rest of his career. And and to some extent, uh, you can see why if you look at that game log. As I mentioned, he had a couple of, uh, of ridiculous games early on. He is going to be sharing the field with a couple of players that I think are pretty... Decent players. I think that, uh, you know, Deontay Johnson and Juju, neither of them are top 12 type of receivers in the league. But, you know, I think they're solid wide receiver twos on a lot of teams. And for Claypool, you know, if you go back and actually look at the game log, there's a number of weeks where he doesn't get to 10 points. Um, you know, early in the season, it felt like they were really making using him a priority, uh, kind of scheming, interesting things for him. And that did tend to fade to some point. Um, so in my perspective, it's pretty close, not only in redraft and best ball for this year, where you go ahead with selecting these guys. So I'm fine with waiting and taking the third. Um, but I also think it's fairly close in dynasty. Uh, but I, I suppose you do have to look at youth to kind of break the ties there you know the thing that I do think is is the disappointing thing to come out of this is anybody that had invested in James Washington that thought they were going to finally get to see him capitalize on some of the momentum that he built up in the playoffs that is going to be a lot harder to come to fruition now
3: yeah maybe one of the most dangerous team wide receiver fours in the NFL the Steelers continue to just find value in the NFL draft um, w- one thing that's, that's pretty cool. I was, uh, looking at our, our player usage app and, uh, in there you can kind of display well, not kind of, you can display, uh, the target market share of, you know, every main, yeah, every main player, uh, in an offense, uh, and plotted over time. And Juju was the team wide receiver one from a fantasy perspective. He actually only led the team in wide receiver targets in one week out of, out of 16, in one week. Uh, that that was really surprising to me. It was usually, uh, in, actually in every single other week, it was either Claypool or Deontay Johnson leading the team in targets, most often uh, Deontay, uh, with Claypool getting four weeks and Juju getting the other. So I guess by default that gives, what, Deontay 11 weeks there. Um, so so anyway, yeah, I think we're going to get more of the same in the Pittsburgh offense, and uh, I think it is unlikely even me saying that I like Claypool, I think it's unlikely with all three of these guys here that we get a dynamic like, say, Minnesota, where Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, you know, were both fringe wide receiver ones. I don't think that we see a concentration of target market share to two of these three guys. I think that they, they all three have their special skills and, you know, will produce over the course of the year. Uh, but perhaps hold each other down Um might be another situation, a much more exciting one, but kind of like we were talking about at the top of this podcast with Cam Newton, you know, perhaps cheap Ben Roethlisberger's cheap, healthier, thinner Ben Roethlisberger is maybe the best play uh out of the Pittsburgh offense.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting way to come at it, just defaulting to the quarterback. You would like to think that with the four options he has to go to, he should be able to string something together. You know, last year there was definitely a a step backward for Roethlisberger. It's possible he has that one more year left in him. Uh, You know, I think that it's definitely possible he doesn't. Um, But this isn't the Steelers team... or or this isn't an offense that's as exciting from a fantasy perspective as it was three or four years ago, but I'm still interested in getting some exposure to these wide receivers a little bit to Roethlisberger. And I believe Curtis that that takes us to the end of this episode. We will be back two more times this week. We do need to iron out the schedule and the days that we will be releasing these and the times, but we will have that reported uh, to you next week. Great to have you on board, Curtis. Any closing thoughts for us?
3: No, other than just make sure you subscribe to this podcast. This is going to be, uh, this can be an adventure. It's, it's my first, uh, it's my first foray into partnership with, with Dave in audible form. We've been lavishing each other with compliments for years. As we've helped uh, each other to run the site along with the other owners, um, but this will this will be great. You're, you're gonna you're, you are gonna listen to our relationship blossom live on air. Uh, what could be better than that?
2: Oh, nothing could. So I am excited about it, and now we get to hear the sweet new outro music for the first time.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better